Hello and welcome to episode 32 of the Global Captive Podcast, supported by legacy specialists R&Q and hosted by me, Richard Kutcher. Please remember that the easiest way to get every episode straight to your device when it is released is to subscribe or follow us for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And of course, every episode and bio is on the globalcaptivepodcast.com website. My guest co-host for this week is Peter Carter, the relatively new head of the Global Captive Practice at Willis Towers Watson. Peter, welcome to the pod. Thank you, Richard. Good, good stuff to have you. Um, later in the episode, we will hear from Jim Limecooler, CEO of Progressive Produce in LA, a member of the Group Captive Raffles Insurance domiciled in Cayman. And we will also have a really informative segment from three of the leaders within Seekers Amplify Women Initiative, Amy Evans, Cara Tenslant, and friend of the podcast, Sandy Bigglestone. More on all of that later. But Peter, I believe it's been just over six months now since you, you've been in the hot seat. Perhaps you could tell our listeners a little bit about how you got here and, and your background. Yeah, sure. Um, look, I started my career as a trainee chartered accountant. Uh, during that time, I worked on a number of banking and insurance audits, as well as did some insolvency work. Um, and after that, I had a spell at Accenture working on transformational outsourcing. So I worked in an area called corporate transaction services, which basically entailed uh, working out how to structure the more complex consulting and outsourcing solutions for our clients. Uh, for example, on one deal, we helped the client set up a tech co, uh, and we capitalized that with some equity and debt financing. The idea being to make sure that the client had the funds up front to finance an IT transformation. And in that arrangement, having uh, insurance to underwrite some of the key risk was absolutely critical to getting the, um, the debt financing over the line. And then mid-career, I did an MBA um, and that got me into banking. And I eventually ended up at HSBC where I worked, met and worked for John Green, who became the Willis CFO before the merger with Towers Watson. And I followed John into uh, Willis. Uh, I really enjoy working um, uh, here. Um, and I worked uh, initially in the investment risk and reinsurance division as a um, finance director um, and then became the CFO for Willis Limited here in the UK. Uh, and it was through that experience, really, that I got involved in projects like. Um, uh, Acapella and Innovisc Capital Partners, um, which were sort of our foray into um, uh, MGA uh, space, uh, as well as uh, being on the board of our broker-dealer business, which was involved in issuing cap bonds, which has uh, gathered momentum, I would say, in, uh, in recent years. So when a position opened up to join our captive uh, practice, I, I leapt at the chance, really, because um, I love working with talented people, using data, tech, um, and I guess structuring solutions to find good outcomes for our clients. Um, so that felt like that was right up my street. And so uh, uh, here I am today. Yeah, brilliant. Well, welcome to the industry as well. And I mean, when you took on the job at the end of last year, start of this year, you probably thought you had a bit of time to go out there and, and visit the domiciles and the islands and the, and the different places that under your under your practice. But of course, that hasn't quite worked out with all the travel restrictions kicking in from February and March. How much of the how much of the captive practice did, were you able to get out there and visit before before this lockdown kicked in? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, we have. Um 
15 domiciles um, that we work in uh, across the world. And I, I managed to get to five between November and, and March, and then the lockdown kicked in. Um, so although it's not ideal, I have a great team and, and we've been able to take advantage of the um, the video technology um, teams is what we use uh, and other forms of communication just to keep in touch um, uh, with everybody and, and and on top of it all really but uh, anyway I'm hoping that eventually lockdown eases and um, can get out and see the rest of the, uh, the the domiciles yeah of course and obviously most of the captive conference calendar has, has pretty much been put aside but I know you took part in the capture review virtual event earlier this week and I'm sure uh, many of your colleagues and myself will be at the VCA one in August uh, so it's good to see things kind of carry on in some regard regarding those networking opportunities I mean in terms of your priorities for the practice over the next 12 months obviously there's something bigger much in the horizon in the future which you won't probably go into regarding aon but for you and the next 12 months at the captive practice peter what what's kind of your core objectives and, and priorities yeah i mean clearly the, the the thing that we had to adapt to uh, very quickly was um you know how we could help our clients navigate the covid19 crisis so spent quite a bit of time with the team really making sure that we could do everything we could um uh, do to to support captive owners if they had any concerns around um, financial resilience um, and whether there was anything uh, within the captive toolbox that we could um, uh, help them uh, uh, bring to bear. So um, that that's clearly been a uh, a hot topic. And obviously, with um, something like the, the pandemic, we've had to shift up the priority, you know, making sure we're really helping our, our people stay connected, make sure everybody was safe, I guess, uh, in, in the early days um, of lockdown, but also able to uh, access our network and, and stay connected with the, um, the work teams, albeit virtually. And I think really to help some of that sort of people agenda, we, we also um, uh, set up a 180-day plan to um, you know, really make sure that we uh, didn't allow teammates to uh, become somewhat isolated or cut off. Um, so actually, rallying around that um, that plan uh, has been um, you know uh, a lot of fun, but also very practical. We wanted to make our practice stronger, notwithstanding some of the headwinds. And coming up with a plan like that helped us also see how we could maybe engage some of our talent to um, uh, drive forward with some of the work streams. Um, and then I guess the third uh, priority that, that, that we're, we're working on, and that will take time maybe even beyond the 12-month horizon, is uh, taking a look at all the um, tools and software that we have um, uh, in the kit bag to see how we can really help our captive owners and make a difference. So we've been developing um, tools such as Captive Quantified, which is something that we use to facilitate stress testing and financial analysis. It's web-based, it's interactive. I love these tools because I think the more you explore what you're sort of baseline scenario is and then throw at it some uh, less uh, attractive um, uh, scenarios uh, and then see what impacts it has on your captive financial statements and cash flow. Um, I think the better appreciation you have of um, what could hurt your business model and how the captive can take action and help in those circumstances. So that's great. And I think I think captives are a really uh, helpful vehicle for collecting very important information and data 
about risk uh, insurance portfolios and losses and claims experience. So I love our Risk Intelligence Central platform, which is really an information and data sharing uh, uh, platform that allows us to better collaborate with our clients in an intuitive way, which is some pretty cool stuff. And then finally, um, because we're part of a wider risk and analytics team with some terrific models um, and talent, we can not only look at optimizing individual lines of risk, but can also uh, optimize across a whole portfolio of risks. And we call that connected risk intelligence. And for me, as a former CFO, I think this opens up a really powerful conversation about what is your tolerance to risk and once you've understood that a little bit better, what are some of the trade-offs between the residual risk you're, you're prepared to accept versus the cost of premiums and um, uh, suffering some, some retained losses? And that type of advice, when combined with a ca- captive, is really powerful. Um, I think uh, you know, making good use of data uh, like that gives power to your elbow when making business decisions. So, so that's really what we've been focused on, Richard, over the last uh, few months. And I think we'll continue with that. Um, for the next 12. You touched there on the uh, risk analytics uh, area, which I know obviously with Tower Swaps in a very advanced and we're going to talk a little bit, little bit more about that after the break. But first, we're just going to hear from captive owner or group captive member, Jim Limecooler. Jim is CEO of Progressive Podruce, which is a, a member of the well-known Cayman Domiciled Group Captive Raffles Insurance. And Jim spoke about the benefits of being part of a group captive and their journey, but began with a profile of progressive produce. We're a fresh produce company based in Los Angeles, California. The company was founded in 1967 as a private company and uh, was subsequently acquired by Chiquita, one of the largest banana companies in the world, in 1988. And uh, I was working for Chiquita at the time and uh, came to California and as the CFO and was working here as the president of the company, or as as a, as a CFO, and became the president pretty soon after I got here. There was a timely death of the president, but then uh, got the opportunity to buy the company from Chiquita in 2003, and uh, we grew the company from uh, you know turnover of roughly 50 million to this year we'll do close to 400 million. Wow! And uh, in 2016, we did sell 65% of the company to Total Produce, which is based in Dublin, Ireland. And uh, anyway, the company started out as the bulk potato business, repacking potatoes for retailers in this marketplace. We've grown the company with potatoes, onions, asparagus, citrus, uh, now have four packing houses in California and Washington State. Pretty much West Coast based, but... Uh, the expansion uh, into the asparagus, fresh asparagus business, has uh, because we source from Peru, Mexico, Washington State, California, Michigan. Uh, we now have customers throughout the U.S. and Canada. So uh, anyway, the business has grown significantly and, uh, over the past uh, really 15, 20 years. Well, that's that's really good to hear. Really interesting business, Jim. And um, so I understand that uh, the business, the company Progressive Produce is a member of Raffles Insurance, which is uh, quite a well-known, one of the oldest, I believe, group captives out there domiciled in the Cayman Islands. Uh, w- when was it that you you joined uh, Raffles and, and what was the, the reasoning behind that? Yes, uh, we joined in 2004 and uh, we we acquired the company in 2003. And we came out of Chiquita's self-insured program to the traditional market 
And in doing so, we pretty much, uh, I'll say, that almost killed us. Uh, huh. So I'd have to say that uh, uh, when I managed the buyout in 2003, the one thing that I got wrong was I thought maybe our insurance cost, cost might double, but it tripled and quadrupled. So uh, it was pretty much survival, but it was probably one of the best decisions I ever made. Uh, we I had a conversation with a local produce, with a CEO of a local produce company here in L.A., and he introduced me to Raffles. And uh, basically, we couldn't figure out how to join quick enough. We had immediate huge reductions in premiums coming out of the California State Fund program. So uh, for us, it was pretty much a no-brainer decision. So they was it obvious to them, as I presume, to Raffles as well and, and to yourselves that you obviously were a good risk management account and the, the, the premium prices you were being charged in the commercial market just weren't reflective of the risk profile that you had, I presume? Correct. Correct. That time period in California was probably the worst time for workers' compensation. And there was a lot of uh, reform trying to get through the legislation. And so California was a bad state and a lot of things were going on. So we were really getting double hit with what was going on in the, in the traditional market. So uh, really raffles, finding raffles and uh, was great. And we had a good, had a pretty good safety record. Uh, that really only got better. Being a member for 16 years now, how has that been of a, of a benefit apart from those obviously lower or more more uh, accurate premium prices? How how has the group captive been a benefit to your organization over that time? Well, I think really from day one, because it was our new ownership group, really safety was a priority from, from day one, from ownership all the way down to the janitor. And I think we just kept it in the forefront and uh, our safety record improved. You know, it hasn't kept us from having bad years. I mean, unfortunately, uh, when you have as many people as we do and you're packing fresh produce and you have equipment and you have forklifts and you have trucks, you know, accidents do happen. So, you know, we've had a few bad years, but we benefited greatly from the years when things did go well. And, uh, you know, financially benefited from dividends, you know, when our losses were low. So it, it really helped us just become safety oriented from day one. They have a great resource for safety training. There's safety seminars. Uh, and we've just learned a lot of suggestions, I think, from like-minded uh, safety professionals in Raffles companies uh, by sending our employees to different those training and seminars. So mm. it's really just benefited us throughout the whole, uh, our organization. Anyway, we actually even uh, leased another cold storage warehouse from a fellow Raffles member when I got introduced to them at one of our meetings. Just so happened we needed a, a cold storage and this gentleman had, uh, he was in the dairy business and he had a building that was vacant. And uh, so we actually helped our business in a different way, it had nothing to do with insurance, but just you never know who you're going to meet. Absolutely, yeah. No, obviously also valuable as an alternative networking group as well. I presume when you're working with businesses on 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 similar risk profiles, even if they're very very different types of businesses. Um, and we know that we know the people on the podcast. We know the people at Captive Resources quite well. Uh, no, Nick Kentridge has been a previous guest on on the podcast, and we, we like the guys there. I mentioned before that you've you've been on the board of Raffles. Why why were you keen to to play a, a more active role rather than just being a kind of passive member, if you will? Why were you keen to to play a role on the board as well down the years? Well, I really felt lucky to have found Raffles 
And uh, it really, honestly, it saved our company in the early years. Those premium dollars that saved when we had just bought the company, they really made a big difference. So I felt like I had to get as much out of it as I possibly could. And I really enjoyed the company of like-minded business owners that really had the same desire to have a safe workplace, save premium dollars, and just collaborate on other business if, issues if uh, if, the, if they came about. So actually, I've made a number of good friends from all over the country, and we look forward to, to every meeting because we get to see each other then. So like I said earlier, it's one of the better business decisions I ever made and uh, really felt tremendously uh, fortunate to have, have found it and have, have it be as much of a benefit for our company as it's been over the years. Obviously, it sounds like you're very happy with Raffles. Uh, it's working very well for you. Have you ever been tempted or thought about setting up your own standalone captive? To be honest, no. Our expertise is in running a fresh produce business. You know, it takes, well, we're operating 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We really don't have much time to figure out you know, what others are experts in. So we're, we're just really happy to tag along with our friends and business colleagues at Raffles and uh, be a benefit of what they can provide to our company. So it really hasn't crossed our mind and we're happy with what we've, what are, with our decision. The Global Captive Podcast is supported by R&Q, the award-winning provider of exit solutions for legacy liabilities and companies in runoff. R&Q can provide a wide range of solutions and has A-rated paper across the United States and Europe. LPTs, novations, business transfers and acquisition are all frequently used and tailored to the seller's requirement whether in runoff or fully active but seeking greater efficiency. If you have legacy, you should talk to R&Q. Welcome back to the Global Captive Podcast, where I am joined by Peter Carter, head of the Willis Towers Watson Global Captive Practice. Peter, I know for the past 12 to 18 months, uh, the organization Willis Towers Watson has been making a big effort to ensure the captive practice is integrated with its risk and analytics practice, which you, you touched upon there. What, what is the thinking behind this and, and how, how do you see that collaboration really working? Sure, Richard. Um, I think it's a natural development, uh, actually. Uh, I know from my own experience working in banking and particularly in consumer lending, how important it is to have really good marketing analytics and credit risk modeling, supporting and powering your, your business and your business decisions. And when you have that data and analytical models, um, you can perform scenario analysis to see how your business reacts to different conditions. And you can be confident that you've got the right capital and liquidity to ride out any um, unsavory uh, events. So I see it similarly for our um, clients in the captive space, it's really important to lean on the support of actuaries and data scientists to um, to, to better optimize your your risk financing strategies within the within the captive. And I'd like to use a simple example. You know, if you had ten lines of risk in your corporation's risk portfolio, typically when you go to the commercial insurance market, you'll find up to four options of limit and deductible per insurable risk. So the math on that is that's four to a power of 10 possible options to consider. So that's that's over a million possible combinations. You can't do that by intuition um, alone. I think 
uh, an appreciation of uh, risk and analytics in that kind of scenario to structure uh, what would otherwise be a wickedly complex problem is is, is absolutely critical these days. No, absolutely. And I think particularly in this uh, hard market, you know, capitalists need to be looking a lot more closely at the decisions they make, at the retentions they take, at the levels they want to cover, where their reinsurance attaches and all that kind of thing. And this kind of intelligence is going to really, really help with all of that. Now, you may remember, listeners, earlier in the year, uh, GCP28, I believe, we heard from Seeker's Next Generation or Next Gen Committee on how the association is working to attract and develop new talent to the captive insurance industry. Well, in August 2019, Seeker also launched an Amplify Women task force focused on connecting women with opportunities for education, networking, and influence in the captive insurance industry. I was very fortunate to sit down virtually, of course, with three of its leading members to find out a bit more information. And they were Amy Evans, Executive Vice President in the Liability Claims Division at Intercare, Cara Tenselant, Director of Alternative Risk Solutions at Coveries, and Sandy Biggleston, well-known to listeners, Director of Captive Insurance for the State of Vermont. So, Amy, could you just start perhaps by telling us uh, when the Amplify Women initiative uh, began or the group was formed and what its primary objectives are? Yeah, thanks, Richard. Uh, Amplify Women was formed just over a year ago. It was uh, March, April of 2019 when Amy King and Amory Toll were at a conference that focused on empowering women. And they realized that there were no similar groups that helped promote or or, uh, promote women and or diversity within the captive insurance industry. They started talking to other women who were active in the captive arena. And we eventually reached out to SICA, which was excited to work with us and support us. The official mission is women educating, influencing, and networking in the captive insurance industry. Our primary objectives, we decided, were just to foster education and influence and networking among women in the captive insurance and alternative risk industry. And although we initially started with a focus on women, our objective is really to promote those who are underrepresented and to advocate for diversity within the industry itself. I mean, Sandy, um, obviously, you've got quite a senior position at the state of Vermont. What do you think are the perception differences uh, of women leaders in, in the insurance industry? You know, I think if a perception does exist that women can't achieve leadership roles in the industry, the industry will have a hard time attracting and retaining good talent. So all in all, the industry needs more role models. I think some of the perception differences might be that, you know, of women leaders, primarily that women leaders must have sacrificed a lot to achieve their advancements, perhaps. Women in leadership roles may not envision the need for more women in advanced positions, perhaps, so may take on a similar sort of unconscious bias about women's achievements, um, especially if their experiences were not smooth transitions, perhaps fostered by men and women alike, and then further supported. And and Cara, where do you see, uh, Sandy uh, touched upon their kind of un- unconscious biases, where do you seem to see kind of unconscious biases or gender biases being an obstacle for women in our industry, whether it's the captive industry or, or the broader insurance industry? I kind of, you know, I agree with Sandy in that there are not 
enough uh, women uh, represented at C-suite levels and executive boards within our industry. And I think if you look at some of the statistics where, you know, there's about 57% of entry-level positions within our industry are made up of women, but only 18 at executive levels, I think that that's a staggering um, drop-off that needs to be overcome. I think one of the major obstacles for this is the lack of uh, networks that women have been able to achieve early in their careers um, because of the lack of women leadership at the top to help support and develop them. And I think without this ability to to broaden these networks and learn important skills, they have less exposure uh, to key development experiences and access to different opportunities. I think also there's a perception that uh, women need to uh, develop more confidence to take on new or different challenges outside of their comfort zones. Um, but I think what happens is, you know, the, the attributes and the traits that both exist both in men and women are perceived differently in women than they are in men. So I think a woman being more assertive and dominant, she seems to be, you know, she's perceived differently than a man who has the same traits. And I think women too are an obstacle for themselves. I think because there's fewer positions at the top for women, there's less likelihood of women supporting others because there's more competition for those those positions. Amy, Cara touched there on kind of a need for uh, those those kind of networks for women earlier on in their career. Is that is that part of what Amplify Women want to provide and and uh, provide an environment for is to have those kind of more, I don't want to say networking opportunities. I think it kind of uh, devalues what I'm trying to say, but more of those opportunities to network with each other and uh, and promote each other. Yes, absolutely. That is one of our primary goals. And we're doing it through promoting each other in industry awards, making sure that we're doing submissions on behalf of other women within the industry. We are doing it by getting more women on speaking panels and uh, helping women do more presentations and feel less alone. Uh, A lot of times if a woman gets on a panel with a bunch of men, uh, they don't always speak up. So we're, we're really working hard to get women in more prominent roles so that they can be seen. And then also making recommendations and and advocating for each other and lifting each other up, as well as introducing one another uh, so that we have that tight network that the men seem to have. Amy, what do you already see organizations doing to address uh, some of these biases that we've we've mentioned? And, and where do you think organizations can, can be doing better? Yeah, I, I've noticed that there are more underrepresented people being included in senior level decision making, which is a, a great start to helping elevate them. I see some organizations becoming clear about the criteria necessary to obtain promotions and advancements within the company. And if that's done correctly, then it makes for more metric-based decision-making as opposed to being based on personal preference, which is what we're used to. Uh, I think that organizations can do a lot better, though. Uh, People don't want to spend their personal time and corporate money on things like team building. Everybody gets too busy, but I think that's one of the best ways for us to connect and for women to speak up and for men in particular to get to know the strengths of women and get to know another side of women. I also firmly believe in mentorship programs. They're a really easy internal way for organizations to identify and support employees that have a lot of talent but may not be strong advocates for themselves. And it's a it's an inexpensive, cost-effective way to help develop your own talent within the organization. 
One one bit that we've been kind of as women reading and hearing a lot about, and which is amplification, which I think kind of ties into to our mission as a as a company, and that is just kind of supporting and endorsing women's opinions and ideas in the workplace by kind of echoing them and giving credit to the original speaker. Because I think historically, um, there's a lot of good ideas and opinions that come from women that the credit isn't necessarily given where it's due. Um, so by doing this, you know, women can work together to elevate each other in the workplace and ensure, you know, that their ideas and their opinions are recognized. This is Sandy. I, I agree with that. I, I think that there should be a sense of credibility at the workplace roundtable for people who provide thoughtful input, take risks with creative ideas, uh, bring out the best in the organization, regardless of gender, and then folks in the workplace be rewarded accordingly. You know, there's some some bias that women can't achieve a satisfactory work-life balance. You know, perhaps they're seen as not as committed to their career because they're also a mom. And if she's, if the woman is not at work because of personal reasons, then perhaps there's a view that she might not be performing as well. I have to say that I've seen examples where men aren't um, seen in that way most of the time. Absences are excused and the commitment is never in question. I guess one example I think that speaks very true to the heart of not only women, but uh, families. It, during the COVID crisis, there's there's at least one example I know of where um, a captive management firm who recognizes the talent and the skills that they have and value their employees, you know, like Kara and Amy and I, we have children at home um, who are, you know, while we're trying to work, we're also needing to um, occupy them. And so the captive management firm opted to pay for a teacher or tutor to come into the home and, and be with um, this particular family's children while they can work. And so I, I do think that that is such a wonderful and supportive way of not only women, but families and recognizing the value that they have for their employees. Amy, just just lastly from you, perhaps, what uh, what can we expect to hear from? Is there any particular initiatives or objectives that Amplify Women has over the next six to 12 months that we should be looking out for? Yes, absolutely. If we can ever get back on airplanes and back to conferences, uh, you will see us at all of the captive conferences. We will be uh, putting on panels and presentations and we'll be having happy hours and breakfasts and socials to try to get people together. And uh, we encourage all people, not just women, but men as well. I think it's really important for men to be good leaders and, and show each other and show women that they're there to help promote us and vice versa. But you'll see us, uh, uh, we, w- we want people to reach out to us so that we can connect and, and develop the mentorship program um, uh, on a more global basis. So look out for us at all of the uh, captive uh, insurance uh, conferences that are going to be coming up and, and we'll be putting on a bunch of programs. So, Peter, we all know we're, we're in a hard market, as just mentioned, and there, there really is a lot of interest right now in new captive formations and, and making greater use of captives. My my little concern at the moment, and this is maybe not something you want to 
comment on directly. But in Europe in particular, I'm a bit concerned that we might miss out on a generation of new captive owners, mainly from the regulatory side. How do you think the industry and people like yourselves and your practice can can make sure that this this real upsurge in interest, at least in in new captives in this market, doesn't go by as an opportunity missed? What are the key messages you think need to be we need to be communicating? Yeah, I think that's a that's a good point, uh, Richard. You know, I, I think for me, this is less about whether we are in a hard market or a soft market. Um, I think the long term trend has been that data and analytics and technology has evolved, and that's given power to those seeking to democratize and disrupt the traditional insurance value chain. Um, So I guess my message would be I'd hate for clients um, to only look to captives when their backs are to the wall, because I strongly believe that they are useful structures for collecting data and insights throughout the insurance market cycle. I see an opportunity to help clients value having a tech and data-driven vehicle like a captive, um, serving as a platform for concentrating our understanding of any given risk profile and providing transparency so that risk takers and risk givers can trade efficiently with their eyes wide open. The thing to remember is the risks are there through hard and soft insurance markets, whatever the conditions. So why wouldn't you put yourself in the strongest possible position to uh, to trade with, with insurance markets? I, I'll leave you with one thought. I, I think the captive is a bit like a thermostat in a modern day smart home. It provides the intelligence and feedback loop mechanisms to make the take the amplitude out of heat or cold in any weather. No, absolutely. And I think it's, it's certainly true that captives shouldn't just be looked at as a very useful tool in, when a hard market comes around. They are, of course, useful tools in all market cycles. But I think, unfortunately, whether it's because of cost pressures in kind of insureds or priorities at the time, they often don't seem to be thought of that way, do they, uh, internally? And it does. there is naturally this increase in interest when a hard market hits, even though many of them would have been told uh, that they were probably suitable for a captive way before the, the market turned. But hopefully, you know, hopefully we'll, there will be many more converts to the, to the captive, captive word over the next uh, 12 to 24 months. But we often hear, Peter, uh, how having a well-structured and defined captive can really aid corporates as a negotiating tool with the market, particularly in this kind of market. And and this should be emphasized further at the moment. So just lastly, how do you think captive owners, existing captives should be looking to really maximize the opportunity they currently have of a captive to kind of put that pressure on the commercial market? Yeah, I I think, uh, I think, I think that's a good, uh, good question. And and I'd like to think that um, the best way forward is to, almost double down on on what you've created um, uh, through your captive. I think I think captive owners have a, a good opportunity now to to reflect and examine um, just how optimized their their current risk transfer program has been and uh, you know where there are pockets of um, improvement to be made, you know certainly get on and do those. Uh, I think it's a good good opportunity to see if there's any surplus capital to uh, look to deploy that to maybe increase coverage to further protect the uh, the owner or or maybe innovate and, and look to underwrite some difficult risks um, to underwrite right now. For example, you know, helping to iron out some of the wrinkles created by, uh, by coronavirus. Yes, no, absolutely. Uh, lots of talk in that area at the moment. And that is all we have time for this time out. I would just like to say thank you to all of our guests, Jim Limecooler of Progressive Produce, Amy Evans, Cara Tentland, and Sandy Biggleson from the Seeker Amplify Women Task Force. And of course, you, Peter. Peter, thank you for coming on to the pod. 
Thank you. Stay safe, stay healthy, and see you next time, captives.